And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither comes to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So, we're going to jump a little bit if you've been following along in this series. We're actually flipping this week's message and next week. So, if you've been following along and you think, I'm in this series on John chapter 3, and they're skipping over the most familiar verse in John chapter 3, if not the most familiar verse in the Bible, it's not because we've decided to take it out. We're going to go there next week. Jim is going to be sharing with us next week. We just did a little juggling to, to deal with some things going on, and we'll be there next week. But uh, this week, we're going to, I kind of like, actually, I love how God takes our schedules and juggles them to where he wants them to be. And Jim's going to, to lead us out of this series next week, talking about that, that beautiful promise that we find in John 3.16. Tonight, we're going to look at the challenge that that promise is going to bring for us. Because when we receive a promise of a solution, it implies two things. One, that there's something that needs to be fixed. And two, that we need to decide, am I going to receive that fix or not? We hear an awful lot of people come before our God and say, how dare you judge? And tonight we're going to talk about judgment. We don't like talking about judgment. Anyone like talking about judgment? Uh, I worry about you if you enjoy talking about judgment. Judgment is not meant to be a topic that we enjoy talking about. As Christians, what we enjoy is talking about the fact that our God loves us so much that he offers a way to escape his judgment, to be made right in his judgment. But tonight we're going to talk about judgment. God's going to challenge us. As we do, we need to keep in mind the promise that Jim's going to take us to next week, and that's why I'm glad it's next week that we, we have that promise still there waiting for us. But before we get to that promise, we need to consider the alternative. So let's go ahead and come before our God in prayer, and then we'll dig in. Let's pray. Father, we're, we're coming before a topic that's hard tonight. It's challenging tonight challenging every day that we face it. And it's challenging when we look in our own selves and our own inclinations. And, and yet, Lord, we know that you are the God of love and of mercy, the God who gives us the promise of John 3.16, that, that you so love the world that you've created, that you sent your Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. Lord, as we, we look at the challenge that comes after that, would you help us to have the hope we find in it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Really comes down to a, a, a key question that is really, really hard to answer. Why do we keep sinning? 
Why do we keep sinning? Now, some may say, but I don't sin. I'm a good person. Or I don't sin much. I'm a mostly good person. But I, I think if we really examine our hearts that that all of us, whether you're a believer or not at this moment, that all of us look at ourselves and say, there are some areas where I don't always do what is the ideally right thing. You know, did I do mostly the right thing? Yeah, we like to use those wiggle words to make it not so bad, but, but do I always do the best thing I could do? Anyone? All of a sudden, I'm reminded of, of that wonderful scene in Ferris Bueller. The teacher's calling out Bueller, Bueller. You know, anyone? Anyone? No, uh, no, none of us. None of us do the best thing all the time. And here's something else. Even when we know it's not the best thing, there are an awful lot of times we want to keep doing whatever that is that's not best because it makes us happy in the moment. I'll work on that tomorrow. I'll get better tomorrow. Today, it's been a rough day. What are we going to do? What are we going to do when we, we, we're confronted with our lives and we realize our lives are not as they should be? And I, I think our secular world understands that our lives are not as they should be because we see these huge self-help sections in, in, in the bookstore and in the library and you go online and there's all kinds of sites dedicated to self-help. What, what are they trying to do? They're trying to say, there's something in your life that needs to be improved. And you know it because you showed up at the bookstore to look at it. You showed up at, at the self-help section of Amazon to look at it. You, you've shown up on Google typing in whatever it is that isn't quite right. You know that something's not right. And so let's figure out how to fix it. And some of the advice you'd find on there is better than other advice. But it comes down to that we know something is broken. It's sort of like if, if say, you, you go home and have dinner tonight and, and you get out the plates and you're putting them around the table and, and, and as you do, you, you slip on something on the floor and you drop one of the plates. Now, maybe you have enough plates that, that doesn't ruin that night's dinner and, and the matching tableware on it for that night's dinner. But if that happens a few times, has anyone ever broken a plate before? Yeah, it happens, right? And when you break a plate and you break a series of plates, you start to have fewer plates in your collection of a certain pattern, you, you have a decision to make. What am I going to do about that? Now, you could say, I'm going to go for that, that stylish mis mismatched look, and I'm going to get a bunch of different plates, and I'm going to put them out. You could say, I'm going to go on eBay. This is something you couldn't do years ago, right? You'd have to go and search and search and maybe at some flea market find a matching pattern. But, but now you can go on eBay, and if you can figure out how to describe the pattern... With surprisingly good results, you can probably find it and you, you find another plate, you order it, then you, you have plates again, right? But then it comes and it was made a couple of years after yours and it doesn't quite match right. It's not quite right. It's still not right. Or you say, you know what? I don't have enough plates. It's time to get new plates. The others are cracking. The others are broken and chipped. And, and, and it's time to get new plates rather than trying to somehow patch up what's broken. That's the challenge God is going to give us in this passage with our lives. Are, are we going to try to patch up our lives and, and see if we can find a matching pattern and kind of plug it in? And yeah, the, some of the plates are more yellowed than others, and, and some of them are really chipped, and, and, and a couple of them, you know, they have a crack in them, and so some liquid, if you have like something that's sort of a little bit soupier or sauce on your chicken or whatever, it's going to go through the plate, or, or you're going to get new plates. 
But it sounds easier in the moment because if you just keep the, the same old plates, you don't have to think about what pattern would be better. You know, what, what kind of pattern do I want? Or do I even like the new pattern? I like my old pattern. It's comfortable. You go get new plates. You have to figure out what you're going to get. You have to find it. You have to figure out if you're willing to pay the price for it. There's all these challenges. It's so much easier. And so it is with our lives. And so it is Nicodemus, remember, has come to Jesus in the night to ask a question. And so it is for Nicodemus. The question that he's going to have to face is, are you willing, Nicodemus, you have broken and chipped plates in your life, are you willing to discard those and take the plates I'm offering you? Plates that will never break. Or do you want to try to go on eBay, uh, on the... the the, the eBay of God's law that you, you think you have and find something that you think kind of plugs in and makes everything right. That's what we're going to see. Let's go ahead and turn to verse 19 of John chapter 3 where we read this. It says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's think about Nicodemus for a moment. We have this picture of light and dark, and now it, it would appear here, there, there, some people will try to argue this is what Jesus is saying. It appears actually that after verse fourteen, or excuse me, 15, we switch to, to John's summarizing the rest of the scene. And so we kind of zoom out of the immediate moment in which Jesus is, is talking to Nicodemus, and he's just going to tie it all in a bow for us so we, we understand where this all comes to before we move on to the next story in the gospel. But it, it's tied into the story of Nicodemus. It's summarizing perhaps what the rest of the conversation that Jesus and Nicodemus would have had. And as he does that, He's using light and dark, but remember, we are literally in the dark in this scene. Nicodemus comes at night. And why does he come at night? We we talked about this a few weeks ago. Why does he come at night? Nicodemus comes at night so people don't see him. Nicodemus realizes that he's broken some of the plates in his life. He wants to replace them. He doesn't want to make a big deal of it. He certainly doesn't want everyone to think that he's discarding the plates that he's been collecting and and getting new plates. He wants them to think that he's just taking such good care of them that nothing needs to be done. So he's gone to the store to get replacements at a time that no one will see that he's replacing. They'll just see that he's better. And what he has to confront here is he knows something's wrong, is he willing to go all the way in solving it, or does he want a stopgap? Does he want to just fix it for the moment, even though the other plates are falling apart? That's what we're challenged to do, too. Am I going to replace what's broken in my life with what God's offering me, or am I going to try to patch it with little bits of God wisdom that I feel like I can plug in or I can hang up on my wall? So a lot of times that's what we want. We want, want to be able to hang a few scriptures on the wall that make us feel good. Maybe even occasionally one that convicts us a little bit because it doesn't convict us too much and yet it kind of makes us feel like, oh, I, I'm even willing to, to hear God's conviction. Or are we willing to let God come in and just rip everything out that's broken in our lives and bring us into his light? Nicodemus had to answer that question. We have to answer that question. The problem is, when we actually say, God, go ahead and remodel my whole life. Go ahead and pull all the 
dirt and the dust and the icky stuff and the darkness out and put in your light, it's not as comfortable. And what are we told? Later in the Gospel of John, we're told of those who oppose Jesus that they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. They, they looked at, at what Jesus was, was saying and doing and they realized, but, but human beings around me are not going to praise me as much if I do this. So what do I want to do? Do I want God to, to rework me and lose the praise of man? Or would I rather patch everything up in a way that looks pleasing in the moment so that the people around me continue to praise me? Maybe even think I'm really wise. Because the more we follow Jesus, the less wise people are going to think that we are. We can come up with lots of things that have God in them, in some vague sense, the way that society often uses God, where God is some spiritual force, some spiritual force that, that someday is going to make everything right in some way, whether you follow him or not, whether you believe in him or not, whatever you might believe about him, maybe, or at least we can think that until we die. But what happens when we say, no, God is real, and God is very specific, and he is who he says he is in Scripture? What happens then? People start to think we're pretty foolish. How can you believe the stuff in that Bible? How can you look at that and this, this ancient text with these unenlightened uh, people who were so judgmental? And How can you look at this and say, this is actually what you're going to base your life on? You lose the praise of man. Nicodemus had to answer, am I willing to, to lose the praise of man? We need to answer the question, am I willing to lose the praise of man? Now that's part of the problem. The other problem, though, is we like doing the things that we do that aren't necessarily pleasing to God. Verse 20 once again. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. So on the one hand, we don't want to lose the praise of other people. Maybe we know that we're not doing the right thing, but, but we want other people to like us. We want other people to think that we're, we fit in, that we're a part of, of their, their in-club, that we are a part of the, what's trendy in the world, that we are a part of whatever group of people we want to be a part of. And generally, we want to be a part of a number of different groups in life. We want to be a part of maybe the, the neighborhood community. We want to be a part of, of the, the in crowds at our work or at our school. I mean, does anyone say, I'd like to go to school and have everybody else hate me there? I'd like to go to work, and when I walk over to the water cooler, everyone else walks away. We don't say that, right? But we want to be liked. So there's that, but there's, there's this other problem, which is, if we really peer into ourselves, there's an awful lot of times that we want to just keep doing things that are displeasing to God because we like doing them. We want to do them some more. And we'd rather not even think about the fact that God doesn't approve of them. That's uncomfortable. What are we going to do? We say, well, I want God to, to make everything right in the end. I want to live this life. I'll try to live a mostly good life. I'll, I'll generally do what, what God says, except where it gets in the way of things I like to do. And then God can take care of the rest, right? John says, those who, 
who do what's wicked, what are they? They're, they're those who are outside the light. They hate the light. I was reading just yesterday. Does anyone know? I'm, I know several people here are going to say yes. How many of you know Pete Rose? What? What? Why do we know Pete Rose? I mean, he was—he had a fantastic record, but is that why we generally know or talk about Pete Rose at all anymore? No. What did Pete Rose do? He cheated, right? He. Pardon? Yeah. Yeah, he cheated like the Astros. Yeah, we can go ahead and we, we'll pick on the Astros a little. Why not? Uh, but you know, he cheated like the Astros. He he was managing the Cincinnati Reds, and he was found to be gambling on baseball while managing the team he was betting on. And if you're playing or managing or working within baseball, you're not supposed to be betting on baseball at all. But apparently he really, really loves gambling. And so he was betting back in the 70s, I think like $10,000 a game on games. And now he insists that, well, first he denied that he did it at all. Later he admitted, and not until 2004, but later he admitted that he had done it, but that he had done it, but he'd never thrown a game. He'd never tried to make the game go the way of his bet. I don't know if that's true or not. But in any case, what came about is when he was caught in the late 80s, early 90s, he was banned permanently for life. He was banned for life from the game of baseball. And one thing he claims he didn't realize as part of this is he was banned from the Hall of Fame, even though he was a fantastic player. Well, I say all this now because I read yesterday he apparently sent a letter to the commissioner of baseball for, I think, the third or fourth time since all this transpired years ago, asking to be reinstated, saying that he was deeply sorry for the things he'd done in the past, and it would mean so much to him as he grows more advanced in years to be able to be allowed into the Hall of Fame. And by any measure, if he hadn't done this, he would be in the Hall of Fame. So he didn't say that part, but that's sort of implied. And there have been a lot of debate as he's requested this over the years, whether he should be allowed back in. Questions of his unwillingness to admit what he'd done to begin with. But also, and here's the thing that really struck me, I stopped by his website after reading the, this news article about his latest request. What do you find on his website? He, he's the spokesperson for a gambling organization. You can, I think it's one of those online betting places, and he actually uh, he represents them. You, you could click the link and go start betting. And this has been the question over the years, is, is he actually genuinely wanting to escape the darkness of his past or not? If he's still betting all the time. And everyone knows he's betting. And he's actually admitting it. He's, he's a spokesperson for, for a gambling organization. He doesn't want the consequence. He doesn't want to be feeling the darkness anymore, but it seems as though perhaps he doesn't really want to leave it either. And I, there's lots of nuance there, but it struck me how much that fits our own situation. Because when we, when we are found to be in the darkness by God or by other people, there's an awful lot of times that we'd like to escape the consequences of being in the dark, we don't really want to let go of it. Not fully. And say, well, can I keep just a little of that darkness? What John is reminding us here is that as long as we cling to darkness, we're going to hate the light because that light is going to shine on those dark places in us and we're not going to like it. And that's where 
The judgment comes in verse 19. It's not for those who respond to the promise of the gospel, the promise that we're going to spend lots and lots of time on next week. It's not for those. It's for when we cling on to the darkness. Judgment is coming. Yes, judgment is coming. Scripture is clear that judgment is coming. But why do we even need to talk about judgment if God still loves the world that he doesn't want anyone to perish? Why, should, why do we need still to face God's judgment at all? And the answer is because we don't want to let go of the things that pull us away from God. We want God's light that somehow fits everything we want to do, but still makes us somehow okay in the end. And I, I think it, it was so insightful, several commentators brought this up in reflecting on this passage and our world that gets so upset that, that there's judgment at all in the message that we, we speak as Christians. But how funny is it that we have a solution that's completely free? We have a solution that all we have to do is want it. We have a solution where all we have to do is declare that Jesus is our Lord and follow him and not get it all right even. We don't have to get it all right. We just have to make him our Lord. And let him do the work in us. That's all we need to do. And, and yet, how often do we turn away from that? Judgment only continues because we turn away from the promises of God that are available to every person. Now, John says that those who do, there's those who do the truth and those who do evil that are in the darkness. And, and if we've spent any time at all in Scripture, and if you've spent time just even in the passages we've talked about here at Little Hills, you'll say, now this is all well and good, but if we can't hold on to any darkness, then I'm in trouble because all of us are sinners. You, you said that earlier tonight, Tim, and you've said that before, and, and Jim said that, and, and Melanie said that in the devotionals at times, and and. We could go on and on and on. We, we hear about when Jason's sharing the devotionals. No matter who you hear from here, boy, we must be a twisted lot here, huh? We, we tell you that, don't worry, the gospel's free, but by the way, you can't, you can't fulfill the requirements of it. What, are we, what does it mean to be those who, who do the truth and receive the light if we already acknowledge that we're sinners who are always going to fail that measure? Let's take a look again at verse 21. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. That in God is really, really important because it acknowledges that we know what we can't do. There are a lot of things I know I can't do. And there are a lot of things that I can't do, but I don't know that I can't do, too. But there are some things that I just own the fact that I can't do them. And one of them is be very coordinated at all. And, w- and one thing that, that that's led into over the years, it, be, it started out just sort of as an accident and then became a, an inside joke. But my mom and I when will watch or listen to a baseball game. They, they make a great play. And what are you supposed to do? You, you high-five someone when they make a great play, right? You get excited. We, we did it. Well, of course, they did it. But we did it, right, because we're the fans. But if you're really uncoordinated, it's really hard to, in the spur of the moment, do a high five. And one time we missed. Well, now we just intentionally miss. And it's sort of like, well, you can't actually high five. You go, you know, like that. Um, But it's acknowledging in in no small part the fact that I am a terribly klutzy, uncoordinated person. 
And I just know that it's not going to work and someone will get hurt. You just have to embrace that, right? Part of what God calls us to embrace is that we can't do it. But he wants us to turn to him to do it. And that's the key thing here. It's not about getting it all right. It's about wanting God to go into our lives and pull out the stuff that we can't get right. And it's really interesting when you look at how, how John phrases this passage. Because he, he has sort of this, this parallel thing going here where he says in verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light. And then he says in 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light. And it looks like it's, in our English Bibles, it looks like he's using the same word there, does in both cases. But he actually uses two different words to express the, the, the concept of doing something in, in the Greek. And, and what's striking about it is this is, seems like a subtle thing, but they actually have sort of different directions they're going. That first word he uses when he's talking about doing evil is, talking, is the word that most often in Scripture is used when we're talking about, I'm doing, you know, I'm going and doing something right now. I'm going to the grocery store and doing it right now, right? Just checking something off the list, I'm doing it. The word he uses when he talks about those who do the truth is the word for someone who is being something to get someplace. Now, maybe I'm trying to just get to the grocery store, and that would make it the same. Why do I go to the grocery store? Why, why do I do a lot of things in life so that I live, right? The goal is to live, right? If you don't eat, if you don't drink anything, you'll die. You need to eat, right? I wasn't trying to almost use the rally slogan, but there, thereabouts. You got to eat, right? Uh, so uh, we, we do things, but we do them for a purpose, and the distinction here is that when we're doing evil, we're not generally doing them in a meaningful, purposeful way. We're doing it, why? Because in the moment, I'm hungry. I want this thing. I'm going to eat it. I'm going to take it. It doesn't matter what it is. I just want it. And if you think about sin, doesn't that express so often why we sin? What does it mean to be a pe people of the truth? What does it mean to actually be born of the light? Well, it means that we're not just doing things just because it's the next thing that I want. We do things because we want to be Jesus's. Now, some of those things are still going to be wrong in the moment. This question, am I just focused on what's going to make me happy and successful seemingly in this moment or in the short term? Or am I thinking, I want the light in the long term. And I believe that's what the distinction is here in these two words that he uses. He's, he's saying there's a difference between how we approach sin, which is always just immediate gratification, just bringing things into my life because I want them in the moment. And the decision to follow Jesus, which doesn't make everything right in the moment. I, I think many of you could testify to that. It doesn't make everything right in the moment, does it? we know he will make it right. Do we want to be a, a doer or a beer? Not a beer. A beer. Yeah. Do we want to be a doer or a beer? Mm -hmm. Because 
so often we're just thinking about do, do, do. And even when we're trying to do the right things, we're thinking do, 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 because I don't want to feel guilty in this moment. I, I want God to be happy with me in this moment. But what we need to see is God loves you. And the, I, the question is, am I going to live a life or the trajectory of it? The character of it is a life led by God. Evil we can do on our own. We don't need to look for anyone else. Sure, other people will tempt us. Forces of evil will tempt us. But really, when it comes down to it, we don't need anyone else to help us do evil. We're quite good at it. What we see here is is the life of, of a person who does the truth, does what is true, is one who has a life in which the works that he or she is doing are carried out in God, in his strength. We can't do it on our own. What are we interested in? Are we looking to be a doer or a beer? Colossians 1.13, Paul writes, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. When we trust in Jesus, when we say, Jesus, I can't do this, but I want you to be my Lord, And I want you to shine light even when it hurts in my life. I want you to make me like you. He transfers us out of the kingdom of darkness and into his light. Now, that transfer isn't immediate in the experience of it. It's immediate in the effect of it. Salvation isn't something that hangs in the balance like our our current counting of votes from last week's election where we're still waiting to see that some of the races are going to go one way or another. It isn't like that. Jesus does what he says he's going to do, and yet in the experience of it, it feels sort of like those, those tallies coming in because at some point it looks like it's going a little bit more the way that it should, and sometimes it looks like it's not going the way that it should, and we're waiting and the numbers are coming up and we're now at 80% in one of the counties of our life, and, and it, when's it going to get here? He's transferring us out of that darkness and into the light. And that's what's remarkable when we think about the man who comes to talk to Jesus in the darkness. He comes in the pitch black of night. He comes when people won't see him because he doesn't want people to see that he wants any light shined on his life from Jesus. As we talked about on Monday night, and I alluded to last Sunday, I think we need to keep in mind as we're going through this story because it's so essential to understanding Nicodemus. What does he do? He's one of those listed as caring for the body of Jesus after the crucifixion. He goes from being one who hides in the darkness to one who testifies to the light. He testifies to moving, to being willing to be seen by other people. That's part of that light, the physical light. He he doesn't have to be in the darkness any longer. But he also goes from spiritual darkness to, I believe, spiritual lightness. But I think as he looked at those plates, he, he said to Jesus, yeah, you know, I, I could go on going to eBay and ordering a plate here and there, but they're getting more and more mismatched. I, I want you to take out the plates in my life. I, I, I really believe that's what we see in Nicodemus. It's a question of where are we headed. Nicodemus doesn't leave that night on fire as the greatest first evangelist ever known to man for the gospel. 
He doesn't leave and we find out that Jesus didn't even have to go around Israel because Nicodemus was running around proclaiming the gospel to everyone. He doesn't even do like some of the others that Jesus ministered to where they went and told everyone in their town right away. The next time we see him, he's sort of covertly, it seems, trying to soften what people are trying to do to Jesus. He processes. He's not immediately showing full lightness. God takes him and is working on him. There's a trajectory there. Are we doers or are we beers? There's a street in my neighborhood that sort of fascinates me when, we, when I think about it because it, it was put in to connect to another neighborhood. And, and so the street dead ends and it was intended to connect further along. And yet there was disagreement on how it should connect or if it should connect. And so then they built homes on the other end of a, a little creek right in front of where the street goes. The street will never connect. It had a moment of doing something that seemed to make sense for connecting traffic and making everything work. But it will never actually go all the way there because there wasn't enough purpose behind the whole plan. There wasn't a purpose to make sure all would work and that all the pieces could come together and everyone would agree to make it happen. And so they built part of the street and it just dead ends. And, it ends. and we, probably many of you in your neighborhoods have those sorts of streets that are built. Maybe it'll be expanded in the future and sometimes it is and sometimes those become permanent as everything around it is built without that particular purpose in mind. And I think about some simple little street in a neighborhood here in St. Charles County and how that purpose couldn't be coordinated because there wasn't, it was just, I'm doing this in the moment, in the planning of it, versus when they built the Transcontinental Railroad. We thought about that. We can't even coordinate little streets in our subdivisions, and yet 150 or so years ago, 160 years ago, without satellite imagery and all kinds of communication, they started building rail lines and started building across the continent towards each other and managed to actually meet each other and connect it. I mean, that's kind of mind-boggling. We can't connect subdivisions, but, we can, but they were able to connect thousands of miles of track. You know, if it was up to me, I would have been building that track and I would have gotten to where I was supposed to meet the other side and, and found out, oh, I'm, I'm 300 miles off. I guess we'll go, go up like this and jog down. And, you know, that would have been what I would have done. Because I, I would have somehow miscalculated or whatever. But, but what they did is they had a purpose. They were beers for those connecting railroads. They, they had a vision for it. They were going to do it. And they, they took all the necessary resources to do it. God's going to connect our lives. When we turn to him, when we trust in him, it might seem improbable at the moment because we're in California and the other person is in Oklahoma and it, it, the, the person that we're supposed to be is in Oklahoma and we have no idea how we're getting from California to Oklahoma. And we see God building some things and it seems like, how in the world is that all going to connect? But God isn't like our city planners here in, in St. Charles County. They do a fine job in so many ways. I'm not trying to insult them, but... He's not like us. He's like the, the, the most amazing engineers of all time, only far more amazing. And as we see God building and building and building, and we feel like we're throwing it off because in the moment we're doing some things that are, are dark, God keeps building and he keeps redirecting and he keeps moving us. The key thing is that we trust in him. 
The key thing, the question of judgment that, that looms is a question of, am I going to follow Jesus and let him work in my life or not? It's not a question of, can I do it? The one doing it is God. And sure, we could ask the question, can God do it? But hopefully, if we pay attention to what Scripture says, we already know the answer to that. Because what God does, says he's going to do, he does. What are those dark places in my life? What are those places that, that make me question whether God can even bring me to where he's guiding me because I don't want anyone to know about? Those places where when I want to appeal to a certain group of people, I, I want that to be seen, but for other people I want it to be hidden because I know that they'd see it and they'd see it for what it is and they wouldn't like it. We all have those places that we'd rather not have exposed. Are we willing to take those places before God's spotlight and allow him to expose them, not for judgment, but for redemption? Am I concerned with where I'm going to be in this moment and so I hold on to those things? Am I concerned with where God is going to take me? As I let those things go and say, God, take these things. Connect me. Bring the pieces together. You're in California right now. If you're, if, you're, if you're stuck in the ocean looking at California because you're not even ready to start building a railroad yet, and it seems so impossible, you know that God can take you from that spot and bring you to the point where it all connects together. We don't need to wonder why God brings judgment and how he could not show more mercy because he's shown as much mercy as we could ever define as being merciful. All we have to do is come before him let him restore us. Can you pray with me, please? Lord, we come before you as those who, who struggle, those who, who would like to be thought of as good people, those who would like to be thought of as, as those who do what is right, and yet as we do and we do and we do, what do we find? We, we do dark things. We do things that fail. We build roads that, that dead end into the side of a house and can't be connected. Lord, would you point out those places in our lives where we're, we're just plowing along like that? By the power of your Spirit, would you give us the strength to let go of them? Not because we can, but because you can. Would you instead connect us all together? Connect us and draw us to be the the men and women that you have called us to be. We might show your light, that we might not dwell in the dark, but might embrace the light. We pray these things in the precious name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.